5. Final Solution Vaccines or Bust The only means to fight a plague is honesty. Albert Camus, The Plague, 1947 During the spring of 2020, Dr. Fauci and Bill Gates carpet-bombed the airwaves, bearishly predicting that a miraculous vaccine would stop COVID transmission, prevent illness and the pandemic, and release humanity from house arrest. Even vaccinology's most stalwart tub-thumpers, true believers like Dr. Peter Hotez and Dr. Paul Offit, regarded those forecasts as far-fetched and foolhardy. After all, for decades, two perilous and seemingly insurmountable impediments had thwarted every attempt to craft a coronavirus vaccine. Leaky Vaccines The first obstacle was the coronavirus's tendency to rapidly mutate, producing vaccine-resistant variants. Vaccine developers like Hotez and Offit doubted that after decades of futile efforts, researchers could suddenly develop a COVID vaccine that would provide sterilizing immunity, meaning that it would completely obliterate viral colonies in vaccinated individuals and prevent transmission and mutation. As if to confirm such fears, in May of that year, Britain's top vaccinologist, Andrew Pollard, admitted that the Oxford University's government-funded and patriotically ballyhooed AstraZeneca vaccine had failed to achieve sterilizing immunity in monkeys. The inoculated macaques, even when asymptomatic, continued to support high viral loads in their nasal pharynxes. Then, in August, Dr. Fauci primped up the dismaying news of similar failures by all the competing candidates with a kind of celebratory bravado. Instead of declaring defeat and retreating to the drawing board, Dr. Fauci cheerfully announced that none of the first-generation COVID vaccines was likely to prevent transmission. That news should have cratered the entire project. Leading virologists, including Nobel laureate Luc Montagnier, pointed out that a non-sterilizing or leaky vaccine could not arrest transmission and would therefore fail to stop the pandemic. Even worse, vaccinated individuals, he warned, would become asymptomatic carriers and mutant factories, blasting out vaccine-resistant versions of the disease that were likely to lengthen and intensify rather than abbreviate the pandemic. But Tony Fauci and his partner, Bill Gates, seemed to have a strategy for neutralizing the variant threat. The two men had put billions of taxpayer and tax-deducted dollars into developing an mRNA platform for vaccines that, in theory, would allow them to quickly produce new boosters to combat each new escape variant. This scheme was Big Pharma's holy grail. Vaccines are one of the rare commercial products that multiply profits by failing. Each new booster doubles the revenues from the initial jab. Since NIAID co-owned the mRNA patent, the agency stood to make billions from its coronavirus gambit by producing successive boosters for every new variant. The more, the better. The good news for pharma 
was that all of humanity would be permanently dependent on biannual or even triannual booster shots. Dr. Peter McCullough warned that mass vaccination with a leaky vaccine during a pandemic would put the world on a never-ending booster treadmill. That kind of talk had pharma popping champagne corks. In October 2021, Pfizer announced that it was projecting an astonishing $26 billion in revenues from its COVID boosters. Pathogenic Priming The even more daunting obstacle to coronavirus vaccines was their tendency to induce pathogenic priming, also known as antibody-dependent enhancement, ADE, an overstimulation of immune system response that can cause severe injuries and death when vaccinated individuals subsequently encounter the wild viruses. In early experiments, coronavirus vaccines produced a robust immune response in both animals and children, temporarily heartening researchers, but then tragically killing the vaccine recipients upon re-exposure to the wild virus or making them vulnerable to uniquely debilitating infections. Early in 2020, vaccinology's most brass-bound commissars warned of this pitfall as Dr. Fauci unleashed the industry with billions in federal lucre to gin up COVID inoculations at record pace. In his March 5, 2020 testimony before the House Science, Space, and Technology Committee on Coronavirus, Bill Gates's paid mouthpiece, Dr. Peter Hotez, cautioned, One of the things we're not hearing a lot about is the unique potential safety problem of coronavirus vaccines. With certain types of respiratory virus vaccines, you get immunized. And then, when you get actually exposed to the virus, you get this kind of paradoxical immune enhancement phenomenon. Dr. Hotez confessed to the committee that his colleagues had killed a number of children from pathogenic priming during experiments with the respiratory syncytial virus, RSV, vaccines in 1966, and recounted that during his own earlier work on coronavirus vaccines, he saw the same effect on ferrets. We started developing coronavirus vaccines, and our colleagues, we, noticed in laboratory animals that they started to show some of the same immune pathology. So we said, oh my God, this is going to be problematic. In an April 26, 2020 interview with pharma troll Dr. Zubin Zedog Demania, MD, Merck's top vaccine promoter, Dr. Paul Offit amplified these concerns. Binding antibodies can be dangerous and cause something called antibody-dependent enhancement, and we've seen that. I mean, we saw that with the Gates-funded dengue vaccine. But with the dengue vaccine, in children who had never been exposed to dengue before, it actually made them worse when they were then exposed to the natural virus. Much worse. Vaccinated children who were less than nine years of age, who had never been exposed to dengue before, were more likely to die if they'd been vaccinated than if they hadn't been vaccinated. And even Dr. Anthony Fauci, during his March 26, 2020 White House coronavirus briefing, acknowledged the perils of pathogenic priming. The issue of safety is something I want to make sure the American public understands. 
Does the vaccine make you worse? And there are diseases in which you vaccinate someone, they get infected with what you're trying to protect them with, and you actually enhance the infection. That's the worst possible thing you could do, is vaccinate somebody to prevent infection and actually make them worse. Dr. Fauci must have recognized that since vaccine makers had immunity from liability, which he had helped arrange, and were playing, as it were, with house money, which he diverted to them through NIH, these companies had little incentive to invest in the kind of long-term studies necessary to eliminate the pathogenic priming hazard. In retrospect, it seems that Dr. Fauci and his confederates had at least six strategies for dealing with this grim risk. All six tactics involved hiding the evidence of ADE if it did occur. Dr. Fauci's first approach was to abort the three-year clinical trials at six months and then vaccinate the controls, a preemption that would prevent detection of long-term injuries, including pathogenic priming. Regulators initially intended the Pfizer vaccine trial to continue for three full years until May 2, 2023. Because the FDA allowed Pfizer to unblind and terminate its study after six months and to offer the vaccine to individuals in the placebo group, we will never know whether vaccinated individuals in the trial suffered long-term injuries, including pathogenic priming, that canceled out short-term benefits. Science and experience tell us that many vaccines can cause injuries like cancers, autoimmune diseases, allergies, fertility problems, and neurological illnesses with long-term diagnostic horizons or long incubation periods. A six-month study will hide these harms. Second, as COVID czar, Dr. Fauci stubbornly refused to fix HHS's designed-to-fail vaccine injury surveillance system, VAERS, which systematically suppresses reporting of most vaccine injuries. The Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System is a passive, voluntary system jointly managed by the CDC and FDA that accepts reports from anyone. A 2010 HHS study of the government's notoriously dysfunctional VAERS concluded that VAERS detects fewer than 1% of vaccine injuries. Put another way, VAERS misses over 99% of vaccine injuries, thereby lending the illusion of safety to even the most deadly inoculations. In 2010, the Federal Agency for Healthcare Research Quality, AHRQ, designed and field-tested a state-of-the-art machine-counting AI system as an efficient alternative to VAERS. By testing the system for several years on the Harvard Pilgrim HMO, AHRQ proved that it could capture most vaccine injuries. AHRQ initially planned to roll out the system to all remaining HMOs, but after seeing the AHRQ's frightening results, vaccines were causing serious injuries in one of every 40 recipients. CDC killed the project and stowed the new system on a dusty shelf. Dr. Fauci left that system safely cached throughout the pandemic allowing HHS's broken voluntary system to continue to conceal vaccine injuries, including any evidence of pathogenic priming.
Third, Dr. Fauci's trump card was his capacity to enlist mainstream and social media companies to make reporting of injuries and deaths disappear from the airwaves, newspapers, and the Internet, and therefore from the public consciousness. Facebook, Google, and the television networks purged doctors and scientists who reported pathogenic priming and censored reports about the waves of other vaccine injuries. As a federal official sworn for four decades to uphold the Constitution, Dr. Fauci should have been the champion of free speech and vigorous debate during the pandemic. Instead, he worked hand-in-glove with Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, and other big tech titans to censor criticism of his various mandates and suppress information about vaccine injuries, including discussions of pathogenic priming. Email traffic shows that Dr. Fauci colluded directly with Mark Zuckerberg and the social media platforms to censor doctors who reported vaccine failures, harms, and deaths, to deplatform public health advocates like myself, and to evict and muzzle patients who reported their own injuries. The science journals, utterly dependent on pharma advertising, obligingly refused to publish studies on the rash of deadly and debilitating jab reactions. The Bill Gates-funded fact-checking organization, PolitiFact, worked with pharma-funded fact-checkers like FactCheck, which receives funding from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, and whose current CEO is Richard Besser, former acting head of the CDC, which owns $1.8 billion in Johnson & Johnson stock, to debunk stories and studies of vaccine injuries. On October 7, 2021, Dr. Robert Malone, the inventor of the mRNA vaccine, complained in a tweet that America's people were almost utterly blind to the floods of adverse vaccine events that were killing and debilitating their countrymen. The real problem here is the damn press and the Internet giants. The press and these tech players act to manufacture and reinforce consensus around selected and approved narratives. And then this is being weaponized to attack dissenters, including highly qualified physicians. Fourth, Dr. Fauci allowed CDC to discourage autopsies in deaths following vaccination. CDC refused to recommend autopsies on deaths reported to VARES. That omission allowed the agency to repeatedly make the audacious, fraudulent declaration that all the 16,000 reported deaths following vaccination by October 2021 were unrelated to the vaccines. The regulatory agencies thereby abolished vaccine deaths and injuries by fiat. Instead of exposing this sort of rank deception by government authorities, media and social media enablers emboldened HHS to new nadirs in regulatory malpractice. In January of 2021, baseball superstar Hank Aaron, whom I knew, died 17 days after receiving the COVID jab at a CDC-sponsored press conference in Atlanta. I observed in a Defender article that Aaron's death was one of a wave of deaths among the elderly following COVID jabs. This was true, but the New York Times nevertheless vilified me for spreading misinformation and claimed that the Fulton County coroner had determined 
that Aaron's death was unrelated to vaccines. USA Today, Newsweek, Time, Daily Beast, ABC, CNN, and CBS reported the Times claim. But when I called to verify their claim, the Fulton County coroner told me that the office has never seen Aaron's body and that no autopsy was ever performed. Aaron's family had buried the home run hero without a postmortem. The Times fabrication was part of the systematic campaign of deception, propaganda, and censorship by HHS regulators in partnership with mainstream media, almost unprecedented in the American experience, that helped conceal the tsunami of vaccine injuries and fatalities. Anthony Fauci is a great guy in the same way that Harvey Weinstein was a great guy, says Jeff Hansen, the chairman of a large publicly traded healthcare corporation. It all changed when widespread private knowledge about him crossed the transom into public knowledge. Weinstein, too, had powerful mainstream media outfits watching his back. Incidentally, autopsy reports from other nations are revealing exactly the sorts of information that CDC understandably wants to protect Americans from learning. In September 2021, veteran German pathologists and professors Dr. Arna Burkhardt, who served as director of the Institute of Pathology in Reutlingen for 18 years, and Dr. Walter Lang, chief of a leading lung pathology institute for 35 years, performed autopsies on 10 cadavers of individuals who died following vaccination, finding that five were very likely and two more probably related to the jab. In three cases, they found strong evidence of lethal multi-system inflammation and runaway autoimmunity, including rare autoimmune diseases like Hashimoto's, an autoimmune-triggered hypothyroidism, leukoclastic vasculitis, an inflammatory reaction in the capillaries that leads to skin bleeding, and Sjogren's syndrome, an inflammation of the salivary and lacrimal glands. Three autoimmune diseases in a total of ten is a strikingly high rate, said Professor Lang. The doctors also found large clusters of endothelial cells detached from the walls of blood vessels and clumps of red blood cells that cause thrombosis and giant cells that formed around trapped foreign bodies. Lang said he had not seen anything like these clusters of lymphocytes in hundreds of thousands of pathological studies. The lymphocytes are running amok in all organs. Lang faulted government regulators for hindering autopsies on vaccine reactions. We are missing out on 90%. Fifth, Dr. Fauci populated the key FDA and CDC committees with NIAID, NIH, and Gates Foundation grantees and loyalists to ensure rubber stamp approvals for his mRNA vaccines without any long-term injury studies. More than half of FDA's VRB-PAC committee, which approved EUAs for Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, and Pfizer, and granted final licensure to the Pfizer vaccine, were grant recipients from NIH, NIAID, BMGF, and pharmaceutical companies. More than half the CDC's ACIP committee participants 
were similarly compromised. Sixth, by vaccinating the entire population, Dr. Fauci seems to be striving to eliminate the control group to hide vaccine injuries. In a 2015 interview, Dr. Fauci said, I mean, if a parent really feels strongly against vaccination, that parent can get an exemption. So there's never a situation where someone is going to tie you down and vaccinate you or say you can't go to any schools at all if you're not vaccinated. Nowhere should you force someone to do anything. In the run-up to the rollout, Dr. Fauci frequently repeated his ethical antipathy against mandating vaccination. But once the voluntary market reached saturation, those scruples melted away, and following his guidance, the federal policies began treating the vaccine-hesitant as dangerous public enemies. Our patience is wearing thin, warned Joe Biden during a national address on September 9, 2021. Dr. Fauci presided over a progression of increasingly draconian forms of coercion to compel vaccination of the entire population. With his open encouragement, universities, schools, businesses, hospitals, public employers, and a litany of other societal power centers simultaneously launched numbing waves of strong-arm tactics to compel unwilling Americans to submit to vaccination, including threats of discrimination, job loss, exclusion from schools, parks, sports and entertainment venues, bars, restaurants, military service, public employment, travel, and health care. The unvaccinated experienced exclusion, marginalization, vilification, purges by social media platforms and mainstream media, as well as threats of violence, incarceration, legal reprisals, and deprivation of rights. In October 2021, New York Governor Kathy Hochul promised to deny driver's licenses and automobile registration to the unvaccinated. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio threatened to exclude the unvaccinated from subways, gyms, bars, and businesses. A Colorado hospital announced the removal of unvaccinated patients from its lists of those eligible for organ transplants. Observing that some 25% of African Americans were unvaccinated, civil rights leader Kevin Jenkins declared, this is the new Jim Crow. Whether intentional or not, the effect of this escalation was, increasingly, to eliminate the control group, which, coincidentally, would permanently hide the evidence of vaccine injuries. This motivation alone explains Dr. Fauci's reckless and ferocious drive to vaccinate every last American, even those who have natural immunity and nothing to gain from vaccination, Americans below 50, even kindergarten-aged children with zero risk from COVID, and pregnant women, despite a nearly complete lack of information about the jab's impact on the fetus. Dr. Fauci continued to insist that fully vaccinating the entire population was the only path to ending the pandemic. This assertion ignored the fact that COVID vaccines prevent neither transmission nor infection nor reductions in viral loads. Overwhelming science has proven that vaccinated and unvaccinated individuals are equally likely to spread disease. 
A September 2021 Israeli study demonstrating that natural immunity provides 27 times better protection against COVID than the Pfizer vaccine is just one of 29 recently published peer-reviewed studies that vouch for the superiority of natural immunity. What, then, is motivating the fierce campaign to nevertheless coercively vaccinate the vaccine-resistant 25% other than a strategy to eliminate the control group to hide the deaths and injuries? By November 2021, that retinue of concerning devices largely succeeded in concealing from Americans the well-established facts that Dr. Fauci's vaccines neither prevented the disease nor its transmission, and that COVID vaccines were killing and injuring record numbers of Americans. The relentless broadcast of frightening and purposefully inflated COVID death reports stoked fears of the contagion that convinced many Americans to believe the government's mantra that COVID vaccines were safe and effective, and that to the extent they weren't, the vaccines caused more good than harm. Physicians and scientists complained that Dr. Fauci's vaccine promotions constituted a vast, unprecedented population-wide experiment with shady record-keeping and no control group. Meanwhile, the actual data suggested that the COVID vaccines were causing far more deaths than they were averting. The Pfizer Vaccine A Cold Look at the Shocking Data At this book's November 2021 publication date, only Pfizer's COVID vaccine, known as Comirnaty, had one FDA approval. Although Comirnaty is not yet given in the United States, its counterpart, the Pfizer-BioNTech, the same vaccine under a different name, is, so I will focus on the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. As of October 6th, U.S. health officials had administered more than 230 million doses of Pfizer's COVID vaccine, compared to 152 million doses of Moderna and 15 million doses of Johnson & Johnson. The final summary of the Pfizer's six-month clinical trial data, the document that Pfizer submitted to FDA to win approval, revealed one key data point that should have killed that intervention forever. Far more people died in the vaccine group than in the placebo group during Pfizer's clinical trials. The fact that FDA nevertheless granted Pfizer full approval and that the medical community embraced and prescribed this intervention for their patients is eloquent testimony to the resilience of even the most deadly and inefficacious products and the breathtaking power of the pharmaceutical industry and its government allies to control the narrative through captive regulators, compliant physicians, and media manipulation, and to overwhelm the fundamental common sense of much of humanity. The Pfizer vaccine trial offers a lesson on the perils of ignoring all-cause mortality as the governing endpoint for vaccine approval. But before we talk about all-cause mortality, let's look at the evidence that convinced FDA to grant Pfizer its license. Mathematical chicanery 
relative risk versus absolute risk. Pfizer's final report to FDA summarizes death data from Pfizer's six-month clinical trial. The study by then was unblinded and over. Pfizer won FDA's approval, despite the rather pathetic showing that its vaccine might prevent one COVID death in every 22,000 vaccine recipients. So, how did Pfizer transform its unimpressive record of eliminating a single COVID fatality among 22,000 vaccinated subjects into a $5 billion a year success story? By gulling the public with a deceptive measure called relative risk instead of the presumptive and far more useful measure of absolute risk. During the six-month trial, two people in the placebo group numbering approximately 22,000 and only one in the similarly-sized vaccine group died from COVID. Believe it or not, this data point is the source of Pfizer's claim that the vaccine is 100% efficacious against death. Since only one person died from COVID in the vaccine group and two died in the placebo group, Pfizer can technically represent that the vaccine is a 100% improvement over the placebo. After all, the number two is 100% greater than the number one, right? The media winked at this canard, obligingly reporting Pfizer's extraordinary 100% efficacy claim. At least, some reporters must have understood that most Americans hearing this statistic would naturally believe that the vaccine would prevent 100% of deaths. A more honest and helpful way of thinking about the Pfizer vaccine's efficacy is to consider that 22,000 vaccines must be given to save a single life from COVID. Equally concerning, Every virologist and infectious disease expert knew that the true reduction in risk of 1 in 22,000, or about 0.01%, as the BMJ reported, was far too insignificant to make the vaccine even a minor barrier against the spread of COVID. It's axiomatic that any vaccine that does not prevent transmission and that spares only 1 in 22,000 from death from the target contagion has no ability to stop a pandemic. Because the clinical trial showed that vaccines reduce absolute risk less than 1%, see Brown, R., and colleagues from Waterloo in Canada, those vaccines can't possibly influence epidemic curves. It's mathematically impossible, explains Peter McCullough. Nevertheless, Dr. Fauci continued to promote the vaccine as the ultimate panacea. The entire justification that Gates and Dr. Fauci had been trumpeting for a year, that their vaccines would end the pandemic, was now so much exploded shrapnel. Nevertheless, Dr. Fauci continued to claim that full vaccination of the entire population was the only way to end the pandemic. He thereby justified his insistence that Americans submit to mass vaccination. But the story gets even worse. The meager advantage of preventing a single COVID death in one out of every 22,000 vaccinated individuals 
is entirely canceled out by a five-fold increase in excess fatal cardiac arrests and congestive heart failures in vaccinated individuals. Pfizer and its regulatory magician, Dr. Fauci, used smoke and mirrors to divert public attention from this all-important question of all-cause mortality. All-cause mortality All-cause mortality should be the key metric in weighing the value of any medical intervention. That measure alone tells us whether vaccinated individuals enjoy better outcomes and longer lives than the unvaccinated. Drugs and vaccines that appear at first glance effective against the target disease may, over longer terms, trigger deaths from unexpected causes, accidents, cancers, heart attacks, seizures, even depression and suicide, or from pathogenic priming, which cancel out the short-term benefits of the intervention. As we shall see in the next two chapters, Dr. Fauci learned at the outset of his career to find excuses for abbreviating clinical trials of toxic medications to keep long-term mortalities invisible and to cloud overall cost-benefit assessments. Pfizer's six-month clinical data for its COVID vaccine trials suggested that, while the vaccine would avert a single death from COVID-19, the vaccinated group suffered four times the number of lethal heart attacks as the unvaccinated. In other words, there was no mortality benefit from the vaccines. For every life saved from COVID, there were four excess heart attack fatalities. Twenty people died of all-cause mortality among the 22,000 recipients in Pfizer's vaccine group versus only 14 in the numerically comparable placebo group. Pfizer was evidently so alarmed by the total number of deaths in its vaccine cohort that it only disclosed them in fine print buried in the body of its report. That means there were 42.8% more deaths in the vaccine than in the placebo groups. Under FDA guidelines, researchers must attribute all injuries and deaths among the study group during clinical trials to the intervention, the vaccine, unless proven otherwise. Under this rule, the FDA must assume people who take the vaccine have 42.8% increased risk of dying. This six-month safety report was so damning that it should have closed the case against this vaccine, but captured FDA officials nevertheless gave Pfizer their approval. The broken VARES system and the mainstream and social media all conspired to conceal the evidence of the crime when vaccinated Americans began dying in droves, and CDC implemented its own retinue of enshrouding machinations to cloak the real-life carnage. Did U.S. cases and deaths drop after the national vaccination campaign began? Dr. Fauci and the vaccine lobby began an opportunistic campaign of deception by claiming credit for their jabs when COVID-19 deaths dropped precipitously in mid-December 2020, just after the vaccine rollout began. But the first Pfizer jab had reached only 27 million Americans, about 8% of the population by February 1st, 
and according to the CDC, the jab takes at least 60 days to provide protection. So vaccines had little, if anything, to do with the drop. By mid-April, only 31% of Americans were vaccinated, and even by June 15th, only 48% had been jabbed. The January drop-off was probably from natural herd immunity, thanks to the spread of natural infections over the previous year, and widespread use of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine following Pierre Corey's December 5th Senate testimony and the proliferation of six nationwide telemedicine clinics and several large networks of independent physicians that began early treatment of about one-fourth to one-third of all new infections in January. Americans wouldn't see the true impacts of vaccines on U.S. mortalities until summer. But let's look for a moment at what happened in other countries with faster rollouts, less guileful regulators, and more scrupulous data collection and reporting. International Databases Infection Increases Following COVID Vaccines Virtually all the countries that implemented rapid and aggressive COVID-19 vaccine campaigns experienced dramatic spikes in COVID infections. This documentation of increased susceptibility to COVID among highly vaccinated populations hints at the onset of the dreaded pathogenic priming in the months following mass vaccination. Gibraltar the world's most vaccinated nation, Gibraltar, aggressively inoculated its 34,000 inhabitants, achieving 115% coverage, officials also vaccinated Spanish tourists, by July 2021. In December 2020, prior to the vaccine rollout, Gibraltar's health agency had experienced only 1,040 confirmed cases and five deaths from COVID-19. After the vaccination blitz, the number of new infections increased fivefold to 5,314, and the number of deaths increased 19-fold. Malta Malta, another of Europe's vaccine champions, administered 800,000 doses to its 500,000 inhabitants achieving vaccine coverage of nearly 84% over six months. But beginning in July 2021, the epidemic and fatalities surged, forcing the authorities to impose new restrictions and to admit that vaccination cannot shield the population from COVID. Iceland By July 2021, Iceland vaccinated 80% of its 360,000 inhabitants with one vaccine and 75% with two. But by mid-July, new daily infections had risen from about 10 to about 120 before stabilizing at a rate higher than the pre-vaccination period. This sudden recurrence convinced Iceland's chief epidemiologist, Thorolfur Gudnason, of the impossibility of achieving herd immunity through vaccination. It's a myth, he publicly declared. In Iceland, people no longer believe in herd immunity, according to oncologist and statistician Dr. Gerard de Lepine. Belgium 
By June 2021, Belgium had vaccinated nearly 75% of its 11.5 million population with one jab and 65% with two. However, by the end of June 2021, new daily infections had risen from less than 500 to nearly 2,000. Belgian health officials acknowledged that the current vaccines cannot stop COVID nor protect Belgium's citizens. Singapore Singapore vaccinated nearly 80% of the population of 5,703,600 with at least one dose by the end of July 2021. But in late August, the country faced an exponential resumption of the epidemic. Daily cases increased from about 10 in June to more than 150 at the end of July and 1,246 cases on September 24th. Britain By July 2021, the United Kingdom had inoculated over 70% of its 67 million Brits with one shot and 59% with both. Nevertheless, by mid-July, Great Britain was suffering 60,000 new cases per day. Faced with record viral surges, Britain's leading vaccinologist Andrew Pollard, leader of the Oxford Vaccine Group, acknowledged before Parliament, collective immunity through vaccination is a myth. Even more worrying, British data compiled by Will Jones for the Daily Skeptic from August 2020 show a negative vaccine effectiveness of minus 53% for the over-40 age group. Reported infections are highest in the double-vaccinated. This means that fully vaccinated individuals from this age group experienced a 53% higher reported infection rate than the unvaccinated that month. Rather than preventing cases, the vaccine may be enhancing transmission. This disproportionate number of vaccinated persons who seem to be sickening and dying, strongly suggests that the world is beginning to see the predicted expression of pathogenic priming. Israel Israel, champion of the Pfizer injection and pioneer of draconian mass vaccination mandates, inoculated 70% of its 9 million people with at least one shot, and nearly 90% of those at risk with two by June 2021. Israel, which formerly boasted itself the template for ruthless vaccine efficiency, is now the global model for vaccine failure. The epidemic rebounded in Israel stronger than ever in July, with a national record of 11,000 new cases recorded in a single day, September 14, 2021 surpassing by nearly 50% the previous peaks in January 2021 during the outbreak following the first Pfizer injections. On August 1, 2021, the Director of Israel's Public Health Services, Dr. Sharon Alroy-Price, announced half of all COVID-19 infections were among the fully vaccinated. Signs of more serious disease among fully vaccinated are also emerging, she said, particularly in those over the age of 60. 68 nations 
and 3,000 U.S. counties. An October 3, 2021 study by scientists at Harvard's T.H. Chan School of Public Health compared vaccination rates for 68 nations and 2,947 counties across America as of September 21st and compared them to COVID-19 cases per 1 million people. Their report concludes that nations and counties with higher vaccination rates do not experience lower per capita SARS-CoV-2 cases. Pathogenic priming? COVID vaccines are linked to increased deaths and hospitalizations. By August 2021, Dr. Fauci, the CDC, and White House officials were reluctantly conceding that vaccination would neither stop illness nor transmission, but nevertheless, they told Americans that the jab would, in any case, protect them against severe forms of the disease or death. It's worth mentioning that HCQ and ivermectin could have accomplished this same objective at a tiny fraction of its price. Dr. Fauci and President Biden, presumably with Dr. Fauci's prompting, told Americans that 98% of serious cases, hospitalizations, and deaths were among the unvaccinated. This was a lie. Real-world data from nations with high COVID jab rates show the complete converse of this narrative. The resumption of infections in all those countries accompanied an explosion of hospitalizations. Severe cases and deaths among the vaccinated. Mortalities across the globe, in fact, have tracked Pfizer's deadly clinical trial results, with the vaccinated dying in higher numbers than the non-vaccinated. These data cemented suspicions that the feared phenomenon of pathogenic priming has arrived and is now wreaking havoc. Gibraltar Following its pioneering world-record vaccine rollout, Gibraltar saw an immediate spike in deaths, suffering 2,853 fatalities per million inhabitants, a European per capita mortality record. During the first days of the rollout, which began with senior citizens. Some 84 elderly died immediately after vaccination. Gibraltar's shell-shocked governor-general said it was the largest mortalities ever suffered in the nation, exceeding even those endured during World War II. England Over a period of seven months, preceding October 2021, some 60% of those 2,542 Brits who died from COVID were double vaccinated. Of people hospitalized in the UK for COVID in the last seven months, 157,000 were double vaccinated. There were more per capita deaths among the fully vaccinated than the unvaccinated. The UK government's latest Office for National Statistics report on mortality rates by COVID vaccination status shows that for age-adjusted mortality rate, the death rate by October 2021 was higher among the vaccinated than the unvaccinated. Wales According to October 2021 data from public health officials in Wales, UK, vaccinated individuals accounted for shocking 87% of all new COVID hospitalizations. 
only 80% of Welsh were then fully vaccinated. In other words, only 13% of severe cases that required a trip to the hospital were unvaccinated, suggesting that those who have taken the experimental vaccine are more likely to experience adverse reactions and become hospitalized from COVID-19. Scotland In Scotland, official data on hospitalizations and deaths for October 2021 showed 87% of those who had died from COVID-19 in the third wave that began in early July were vaccinated. Only 70% of Scots were at the time fully vaccinated. Israel In Israel, an increase in hospitalizations accompanied the epidemic's ferocious resumption. The vaccinated represented the majority of those hospitalized. By the end of July, some 71% of the 118 seriously and critically ill Israelis were fully vaccinated. This proportion of seriously ill people vaccinated is much higher than the proportion of fully vaccinated people, 61%. According to Israel's official report, August deaths were more frequent among fully vaccinated patients, 679, than among non-vaccinated patients, 390. Belying official claims of a protective effect of the vaccine against dying. On August 5, 2021, Dr. Kobe Haviv, director of the Herzog Hospital in Jerusalem, reported on Channel 13 News that 95% of severely ill COVID-19 patients are fully vaccinated and that vaccinated Israelis make up 85 to 90% of COVID-related hospitalizations overall. As the double-vaccinated overwhelmed Israeli hospitals, the government announced in August a new plan for coping with its pandemic of the vaccinated. Israel said it will update its definition of full vaccination to require three or even four injections. We are updating what it means to be vaccinated, said Israel's COVID czar Salman Zarka. Vermont Vermont is America's most vaccinated state. On October 10, 2021, with 86% of its citizens fully vaccinated, according to COVID dashboard, Vermont officials nevertheless reported the largest rate of infections ever and revealed that more than three-quarters of Vermont's September COVID-19 deaths occurred in the fully vaccinated. Unvaccinated accounted for only eight of the state's 33 virus deaths that month, and officials declined to reveal whether those eight were partially vaccinated. A department spokesman explained to LifeSite News that the breakthrough cases may reflect failing vaccine efficacy, as those who died were likely among the very first to be vaccinated. As hospitalizations approached the pandemic peak, September turned into Vermont's second deadliest month during the pandemic, according to the Associated Press. Cape Cod In my own hometown in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, a CDC investigation of an outbreak in Barnstable County between July 6th through July 25th found 74% of those who received a diagnosis of COVID-19 and 80% of hospitalizations 
were among the fully vaccinated. COVID resurgence and soaring breakthrough cases have plagued most of heavily vaccinated New England, including Massachusetts, which has a vaccination rate nearly as perfect as Vermont's. COVID-19 cases were more than four times higher in the Bay State in September 2021 compared to the previous September. Half the deaths were among the fully jabbed and with an unknown number among partially vaxxed. New England's COVID vaccine failure reflects an alarming national trend. A September report from the U.S. Department of Defense revealed that 71% of recent cases of those hospitalized for COVID-19 in late August were fully vaccinated. DOD did not explain how many of the remainder were partially vaccinated. Critics suggest that the shocking and predictable rise in COVID death following vaccination is evidence of long-feared pathogenic priming. Officials have offered no other compelling explanation as to why the vaccine consistently precipitates disproportionate injuries and deaths among the jabbed. It is not my intention to resolve this mystery here. If the listener would like to see a graphic representation of what was just discussed, country by country, please go to the Children's Health Defense website. The data trends those graphs illustrate clash dramatically with official narratives. For that reason, you will not see reports about this alarming phenomenon on mainstream media. The Johns Hopkins University Coronavirus Resource Center collated the data for these graphs. Johns Hopkins is a central support column of mainstream medicine and an aggressive promoter of COVID vaccines in particular. Johns Hopkins has received tens of millions of dollars from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and over a billion dollars from Tony Fauci's NIAID and NIH. The Johns Hopkins data, nevertheless, clearly demonstrate that COVID deaths typically spike sharply in country after country immediately after mass vaccination. The South African physicians group PANDA has assembled the Johns Hopkins data for every nation in an easy-to-view video. PANDA's graphs illustrate this frightening dead zone that immediately followed vaccination drives in most of the world's nations. In the U.S., COVID vaccines caused record deaths. Despite CDC's efforts to hide the carnage in the U.S., even the dysfunctional VAERS system has recorded unprecedented waves of documented deaths following COVID vaccines. In 1976, U.S. regulators pulled the swine flu vaccine after it was linked to 25 deaths. In contrast, between December 14, 2020 and October 1, 2021, American doctors and bereaved families have reported more than 16,000 deaths and a total of 778,685 injuries to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, VAERS, following COVID vaccination. The Europeans' surveillance sites tallied 40,000 deaths and 2.2 million adverse reactions. Due to chronic undercounting by VAERS and its European sister system, 
those numbers are almost certainly only a fraction of the true injuries. Health workers have administered many billions of vaccines during the past 32 years, yet in just eight months, the COVID vaccines have injured and killed far more Americans than all other vaccines combined over three decades. VARA's data show the huge spikes, 69.84% of deaths occurring during the two weeks after vaccination, 39.48% within 24 hours of the injections. According to CDC's fatality data, a COVID vaccine is 98 times more likely to kill than a flu vaccine. Other databases have, not surprisingly, yielded much higher projections of COVID vaccine deaths than VAERS. A recent peer-reviewed study in the High Gravitas Elsevier journal Toxicology Reports found that COVID-19 vaccines kill more people in each age group than they save. According to that study, the best-case scenario is five times the number of deaths attributable to each vaccination versus those attributable to COVID-19 in the most vulnerable 65-plus demographic. Similarly, a September 2021 analysis by a team of prominent scientists and mathematicians convened by Silicon Valley entrepreneur Steve Kirsch of half a dozen population and surveillance system databases, including VARES, using eight different independent methods, attributes 150,000 deaths to COVID vaccines in the United States since January 2020. Kirsch has offered a million-dollar reward for anyone who finds an error in this calculation. Kirsch's study, which found that the vaccines kill more people than they save in every age range, was consistent with Pfizer's six-month clinical trial, finding that people who took the vaccine were more likely to die than people who didn't take the vaccine. There were a total of 20 deaths in the people who took the vaccine versus 14 deaths in the people who didn't take the vaccine. In yet another effort to calculate excess deaths from vaccinations from a non-VARES database, Ohio-based attorney Thomas Renz used the Medicare database, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, to calculate that there have been 48,465 deaths among Medicare Medicaid beneficiaries within 14 days of a first or second dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. There are about 59.4 million Americans covered by Medicare, representing only 18.1% of the population, so these staggering numbers are roughly comparable to Steve Kirsch's population-wide estimate of 150,000. How CDC Hid the Wave of Vaccine Deaths According to Dr. Fauci, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the White House, and most mainstream media, we now have a pandemic of the unvaccinated, with 95% to 99% of COVID-related hospitalizations and deaths being attributed to the unvaccinated. As I mentioned above, these estimates are the product of systematic deception of the public and presumably of the president, by America's top regulators. 
So how did CDC go about fooling President Biden? One of CDC's bold deceptions is to hide vaccine mortalities in U.S. data by counting all people as unvaccinated unless their deaths occur more than two weeks after the second vaccine. Ironically, CDC doubles down on this fraud by counting many of these vaccine deaths as COVID deaths. In this way, CDC captures that wave of deaths that occurs after vaccination and attributes them all to unvaccinated. This is only one of many statistical chicaneries that the CDC employs to hide vaccine injuries and to stoke public fears of COVID. The CDC utilized an even brassier canard to support President Joe Biden's claim that 98% of vaccine hospitalizations and deaths were among the unvaccinated. In an August 5th video statement, CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky inadvertently revealed the agency's principal gimmick for fabricating that statistic. Walensky sheepishly admitted that CDC included hospitalization and mortality data from January through June 2021 in its calculation. The vast majority of the U.S. population were, of course, unvaccinated during that time frame, so it makes sense that almost all hospitalizations would therefore be only among the unvaccinated. This is simply because there were almost no vaccinated Americans during that time period. By January 1st, only 0.4% of the U.S. population had received a COVID shot. By mid-April, an estimated 37% had received one or more shots. And as of June 15th, only 43.34% were fully vaccinated. Using these data was therefore pretty blatant fraud. Of course, CDC never let on that it was foisting eight-month-old data on Americans, allowing us instead to believe that these were current hospitalization rates as of August. To compound this flim-flam, CDC perpetuated an even more audacious hustle. CDC omitted the current, as of August, data related to hospitalizations from the Delta variant which disproportionately hospitalized vaccinated individuals in those other countries for which we have more reliable data. CDC's promotion of this statistical bunko was obviously grossly misleading. Assuming President Biden wasn't deliberately lying to the American people, it's clear that CDC was lying to President Biden and using him to dupe the rest of us. COVID vaccines, other injuries. Despite the obstacles to reporting, VAERS recorded nearly 800,000 injuries by the nine and a half months between December 14, 2020 and October 2021, with 112,000 classified as serious. Pfizer either did not report several severe injuries, short of death, or deceptively de-emphasized their severity during clinical trials, including neurological harm, thrombocytopenia, blood clots, strokes, embolisms, 
aneurysms, myocarditis, Bell's palsy, Guillain-Barre syndrome, multi-organ failure, amputation, blindness, paralysis, tinnitus, and menstrual harms. More than 30,000 women in the UK and 6,000 in the US have complained of the latter. On September 28th, a scientific journal, JAMA Neurology, reported a new series of cases of cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, CVST, linked to COVID-19 vaccines, confirming the severity of the reaction and the associated high mortality rate, and another journal confirmed the resumption of hepatitis C in a patient related to the jab. The numbers of and diversity of these serious injuries probably continue to be dramatically underreported. Steve Kirsch has investigated several broad deceptions Pfizer used to conceal injuries to the vaccine group during its clinical trial. We know, for example, due to the courage of Maddie DeGuray and her parents, that Maddie, a 14-year-old who participated in the Pfizer trial, suffered severe neurological injuries, including seizures and permanent paralysis. However, Pfizer reported only that Maddie suffered a stomachache. The Pfizer vaccine only gained emergency authorization for use in children because Pfizer manipulated trial data and committed serious offenses, like hiding Maddie Degoray's injury. Given that Maddie was only one of 2,300 teenagers in Pfizer's trial, her injury was potentially very significant. By extrapolating a 1 in 2,300 injury rate to the 86 million teens who Pfizer and Dr. Fauci have targeted for vaccination, some 36,000 of these potentially debilitating injuries could be expected to develop nationwide. While COVID may kill old people, the vaccine in Maddie's case shows it also kills and harms the young. Pfizer's clinical data predicted potentially fatal myocarditis in one in every 318 teens. Post-marketing data confirm astronomically high rates of myocarditis injuries. On October 1, 2021, a team of medical researchers and statisticians found that myocarditis rates reported in VAERS were significantly higher in teens than Pfizer had reported in its clinical data. According to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, there have been 7,537 cases of myocarditis and pericarditis reported following COVID vaccines, with 5,602 cases attributed to Pfizer. Some 476 of these reports occurred in children from 12 to 17 years old. According to an article in Current Trends in Cardiology, within eight weeks of the public offering of COVID-19 products to the 12 to 15-year-old age group, we found 19 times the expected number of myocarditis cases in the vaccination volunteers over background myocarditis rates for this age group. But even these alarming numbers may underreport myocarditis injuries. Israeli data 
and U.S. data presented to CDC's Advisory Committee on June 23, 2021, similarly found the rate of reported cases of myocarditis in vaccinated teenage boys aged 12 to 17 is at least 25 times greater than expected and is 50 times greater than the reported rate in vaccinated males over 65. These astonishing numbers mean myocarditis is far from a rare side effect, as Dr. Fauci and Pfizer like to claim. Nor is it harmless. A recent study suggests that myocarditis is associated with a 50% mortality within five years. A teen had effectively zero risk of dying from COVID and a substantial risk of death from vaccination. In October 2021, Sweden, Denmark, and Finland announced that they will pause the use of Moderna's COVID vaccine for children under 18 years of age after increased reports of inflammatory diseases like myocarditis and pericarditis. That same week, Iceland banned Moderna's jab outright due to heart inflammation risk. Furthermore, the VARES data may also be dramatically underreporting myocarditis and other injuries. Just before I published this book in late October 2021, FDA made an extraordinary admission in a letter to Pfizer to explain the chronic underreporting of serious but common vaccine induced injuries and deaths. FDA at last admitted that VARES is worthless for detecting vaccine injuries. We have determined that an analysis of spontaneous post-marketing adverse events, VAERS reports, reported under Section 505K1 of the FDCA, Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, will not be sufficient to assess known serious risks of myocarditis and pericarditis and identify an unexpected serious risk of subclinical myocarditis. Furthermore, the pharmacovigilance system that FDA is required to maintain under Section 505K3 of the FDCA is not sufficient to assess these serious risks. At best, this letter is a shocking acknowledgement that regulators have no way to assess whether their vaccines are killing and injuring more humans than they are helping. In any rational regulatory environment, FDA's alarming admission would demand an instantaneous cessation of the vaccine rollout. Only Dr. Anthony Fauci can answer the question. Why, given FDA's stunning confession that America has no functional surveillance system, did HHS not immediately stop the COVID vaccine rollout? The answer, of course, is that Dr. Fauci knows that America's bought, brain-dead, and scientifically illiterate media will never force him to answer this query. Waning Vaccines Compounding concerns over FDA's confession that Americans have no way to assess the risks from COVID vaccines is the uncontestable proof that COVID vaccine efficacy drops precipitously almost immediately after vaccination. Pfizer and FDA may have opted to end the company's clinical trial after six months, 
The optional plan was a three-year trial ending in December 2023. After realizing that the vaccine was causing significant harms and that its fast-waning efficacy would make a cost-benefit analysis unsupportable if the study continued. In other words, the injury axis almost immediately crosses the benefits axis. In October 3, 2021 study, in the peer-reviewed journal BioArchive by Stanford and Emory University scientists, suggests that antibody levels generated by the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine can suffer a tenfold decrease seven months after the second vaccination. The scientists warn that the precipitous drop in antibody levels will compromise the body's ability to defend itself against COVID-19 if the individual is exposed to COVID. A second study published the same week confirms that the immune protection offered by two doses of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine drops off after only two months. Another government-funded study in October confirms the decline in vaccine effectiveness in England, finding that the reduction in transmission declined over time since second vaccination, for Delta reaching similar levels to unvaccinated individuals by 12 weeks for the AstraZeneca vaccine and attenuating substantially for Pfizer. In other words, within just three months, AstraZeneca did nothing to prevent transmission and Pfizer was scarcely better. The study appearing in The Lancet confirms that vaccine effectiveness against infection disappears so fast that it is ephemeral. The heavily powered study involved 3,436,957 Kaiser Permanente Southern California customers and compared infections and COVID-19-related hospital admissions of fully vaccinated to unvaccinated people over the age of 12 for up to six months. The researchers found that vaccine effectiveness against infection plummeted from 88% during the first month after double vaccination to 47% after five months. The researchers found vaccine effectiveness against Delta infection was 93% during the first month after double vaccination, but dropped to 53% after four months. This information should sicken every doctor who has ever given one of these jabs to a trusting patient. It means that these products confer no benefits to individuals or society and their long-term costs are foreboding and largely unknown. How could this have happened? Vaccinating children is unethical. Our collective nausea can only amplify when we ask, why are we vaccinating children? Kirsch's model estimates that 600 children have already died from COVID vaccines as of September 2021. A recent Lancet study shows that a healthy child has zero risk for COVID, suggesting that most of these kids are dying unnecessarily. Some 86% of children suffered an adverse reaction to the Pfizer COVID vaccine in clinical trial, and one in nine children suffered a serious reaction grave enough to leave them unable to perform daily activities. 
how can we then justify forcing a healthy child to take a vaccine that is dead certain to injure many and kill some while bestowing no benefits? How can anyone consider it ethical, asks Kirsch, to put a child at risk for the pretext that it might shield an adult? Show me any adult who thinks this is okay, and I'll show you a monster. COVID-19 vaccines have caused cardiac arrest, blindness, and paralysis in American children. British Health Service reports emergency calls for cardiac arrest are at an all-time high since the government began offering teens the COVID-19 vaccine. COVID vaccines do not protect children from hospitalization or death associated with COVID-19 because healthy children are not being hospitalized or dying with COVID-19. NHS Statistics Children will not gain anything from having the jab because the vaccines do not prevent infection or transmission, as in three recent studies published by the CDC, UK government, and Oxford University. There is no evidence that the vaccines have prevented a single child's death. Troubling statistics from Britain's Office for National Statistics, ONS, verify the expected. Deaths among teenagers during the summer of 2021 increased significantly over the previous year, coinciding with the vaccine rollout. According to an analysis by the expose's Will Jones, between weeks 23 and 37 in 2021, simultaneous with the vaccine rollout, there were 252 deaths among 15 to 19-year-olds in England and Wales compared to 162 in the same period in 2020, an increase of 90, or 56%, a very high number that deserves some kind of explanation. Importantly, there is no similar rise among younger children aged 1 to 14, a cohort that was not vaccinated. Instead, 2020 was a low mortality year for this age group. COVID cannot be blamed for the sudden rise in deaths among 15 to 19-year-olds in summer 2021, as the Office of National Statistics data shows that, over the period, there were only nine deaths with COVID in that age group. This real-world evidence suggests that over the summer, the vaccines killed nine times as many 15 to 19-year-olds as COVID did, 81 versus 9. If not, asks Jones, what are the other possible explanations, and how likely are they? Teen deaths among 15 to 19-year-olds have increased by 47% in the UK since they started getting the COVID-19 vaccine, according to official ONS data. Since the vaccine almost certainly causes more teen deaths and injuries than COVID-19, Vaccinating this age group is highly unethical, and any physician who inoculates a healthy child is committing serious medical malpractice. Nevertheless, Anthony Fauci is urging that kids will be vaccinated in schools without parental consent, despite a mountain of evidence that the COVID-19 vaccines are killing American children and bestow on them no benefit.
Media Censors Reports of Vaccine Deaths Most Americans are unaware of all this carnage because the mainstream and social media companies immediately scrub injuries reported by doctors, victims, and families. Media outlets like CNN and The New York Times ignore the tsunami of vaccine injuries and deaths while reflexively inflating those deaths they can blame on COVID. As part of a broad propaganda agenda, they report, with seeming glee, the occasional COVID death among the unvaccinated. Illustratively, on September 10, 2021, an ABC affiliate in Detroit solicited stories on its Facebook page about unvaccinated people who had died from COVID. Instead, the network got something they did not want. More than 230,000 messages containing heartbreaking stories of injuries and deaths from vaccines. None of these communications were reporting deaths among the unvaccinated. Readers shared the post over 200,000 times in 10 days. Vaccinated are equally likely to spread COVID. Dr. Fauci's official theology makes the unvaccinated America's national scapegoat, holding that they are more likely to spread disease and therefore should not be allowed to participate in civic life. The data across multiple sources and studies depicts a very different reality. In July 2021, the CDC found that fully vaccinated individuals who contract the infection have as high a viral load in their nasal passages as unvaccinated individuals who get infected. This means the vaccinated are just as infectious as the unvaccinated. Another study from Indonesia supported this observation, noting that vaccinated individuals carry 251 times the viral loads of Delta and other mutant variants than they did in the pre-vaccine era. Simply put, as Dr. Peter McCullough observed, each vaccinated person is now a kind of typhoid Mary for COVID, spreading concentrated viral loads of vaccine-resistant mutants to vaccinated and unvaccinated alike. CDC acknowledges that vaccinated individuals carry at least as many COVID germs in their noses as the unvaccinated. CDC cited this revelation to justify its August 2021 mask mandate. An October 2021 investigation by Israel's medical authorities of a COVID-19 outbreak in a highly vaccinated population of health workers at the Meir Medical Center in Sheba recorded 23.3% of patients and 10.3% of staff infected, despite a 96.2% vaccination rate among exposed individuals. Moreover, the researchers recorded multiple transmissions between two fully vaccinated individuals, both wearing surgical masks, and in one instance using full PPE, including N95 mask, face shield, gown, and gloves. Please go to the Children's Health Defense website for the acknowledgments and notes by chapter, updates to data, and new information that becomes available on any of the subject matter covered in this book.